thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Ship Worker podcast. My name is Audrey Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. I've got a super special guest in today's episode, Dr. Nadine Hamilton, who is a psychologist, author and leading authority in veterinary well-being. She's the owner of Positive Psych Solutions, a boutique psychology practice that specializes in veterinary well-being and is also the author of the best-selling book, Coping with Stress and Burn now as a veterinarian. Nadine is also the founder of Love Your Pet, Love Your Vet, a registered charity specifically for veterinary professionals to raise awareness around the issues within the industry. So to talk more about veterinarian wellness, I'd like to give a massive healthy shift worker welcome to Dr. Nadine Hamilton. Hello. Hello. Thank (laughs) you so much for having me on. It's wonderful to share this with you and your listeners. um, Yeah, look forward to a great discussion. (laughs) It's a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to have you, um, Nadine, and, and I can't wait, to be honest, to have our conversation um, <laughs> this morning because I think it's um, going to be a, it's a really, really important topic, uh, that is for sure, um, but I know that um, just chatting with you is, um, is certainly lots of fun as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> try and make it lighthearted. Yeah. Take the seriousness yeah. out of it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, look, we first met um, late last year at a veterinarian event titled um, "Love Yourself Masterclass" that was run by yourself up here in Brisbane and sponsored by um, the Animal Emergency Centre. So, I have to give a bit of a special shout out to Amy Noonan for inviting me after doing some talks um, for the AEC. But it was the first time that I was exposed to your work and. I have to say, I just think it's extraordinary what you're doing um, for the individuals who are actually working in this particular profession. Yes, thank you. And um, I think it's not wi- widely known, you know, that people sort of have this perception that working at a vet, you know, they've had their dream job and for many it is their dream job. But there's this perception that, you know, you just get to play with animals all day. You're cuddling these cute little kittens and puppies and, um, you know, or whether it's other, um, you know, wildlife animals or whatever they are that, you know, they just have this this dream job. And the reality is actually far from that. You know, they may be going from vaccinating, you know, a little puppy and having lots of puppy licks and puppy cuddles <laughs> to then having to, um, you know, euthanize somebody's, you know, 17-year-old cat and having to deal with the emotional stress of dealing with the owner who is obviously grieving as mm. well as trying to be compassionate for the animal who's, um, you know, at at their end of life. So it's it can be a hugely, hugely stressful job and there's there's not a lot of awareness um, for those that aren't within the industry or, or already, you know, that know somebody in the industry and have that awareness. So, um, yeah, that's sort of my mission <laughs> to, mm. to create that awareness. Mm, it's abs- yeah, it's uh, absolutely brilliant. And I kind of really wasn't aware that there were shift workers sort of so much um, in the industry as much as I thought there was either. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into a little bit about that. But first things first, uh, Nadine, I like to always ask my guests um, to share a little about their self, uh, just so we can get a bit of an insight. Like, I mean, how, how did you get involved into psychology? And then I guess more specifically in the veterinarian industry? Yeah, for sure. Um, so like many people, always had a love of animals. 
And actually, my first report card when I was at primary school, um, this, you know, was back in the day where the parents had to write comments, and um, you know, back in the olden days. <laughs> and um, you know, my mum actually commented, you know, about this love of animals that I had. So I mean, it was mm-hmm. there as long as I remember. Mm-hmm. And um, so I always wanted to do something. I always actually thought I wanted to be a vet myself, um, but realised. Um, maybe in my early teens, that I was way too queasy <laughs> to be able to do the things that they have to do. Um, and I also remember sitting at um, the vet clinic one day with my guinea pig called Peppy. Um, the, the vet was the father of a school friend of mine. And I, I still can vividly remember sitting in the waiting room and just thinking, oh, my gosh, no, there's no way I could do this. I couldn't put one to sleep. And, you know, because my, my guinea pig mm. was thinking that that was the, the option. I thought, I couldn't do this. So that realisation hit me. Um, but then, you know, as I sort of progressed through high school, um, unsuccessfully, I, I talk too much, would you believe? <laughs> high school, it's actually on my school reports, I really have to dig them out to show people if it really is documented that I talk too much in school. Um, so I, I flunked high school and um, yeah, dropped out at 15 and thought I'm never really going to amount to anything and thought I'd never go to university because I didn't have any school qualifications. This was before the day of mature age students and um, and this was back in New Zealand where I grew up. And um, I guess just sort of fast-forwarding a little bit, I, I had this inbuilt need to help people, like absolutely love helping people, and mm-hmm. I was always drawn to the same area in the library, which was, um, you know, from, from the numbering sequence in the library, the 150, which was all the psychology and self-help. But I never really had a name for what it was that I wanted to do until one day reading a book, the lady was a psychologist, and she said, this is what I do for a job, this is how I help people, I'm a psychologist. And so finally I had the name for what it was that I wanted to do. Um, But again, I still had the dilemma that, okay, I have no school qualifications, how will I ever get into psychology? Um, You know, and that was where the mature age applications came in and I was accepted. Um, Pretty much not long after I was accepted, um, I had to go to a residential school in Armadale. And it was um, just before I went there that we had the horrific news that I don't think anyone wants to receive that one of my cousins, Andrew, back in the UK had taken his own life. And that was a really pivotal moment for me, obviously not just emotionally, Mm. but from a psychological perspective professionally. Um, And that was was the moment that I decided I want to work in suicide prevention. Um, I spoke to my professors at university about it and they said, oh, you'll change your mind before you graduate. And I did. I ended up um, really specialising and majoring in organisation and psychology. And then... um, I ended up, I worked in occupational rehabilitation, so in these different roles, but I always felt something was missing. And it wasn't until I was at our local vets one day, and by sheer chance, there was a locum vet um, at this practice. I have never seen this lady before. I've Mm. never seen her since. I don't even know what her name is. But she asked me what I did for a job. And this, um, you know, for, for those, I guess, who either go to a vet or work in the vet industry, you probably know there's usually not enough time for that kind of small talk. You don't mm. patients about, so what do you do for a job? Mm. Usually too rushed. And, um, you know, I said I was a psychologist and she said, oh, so you'll be aware of the high suicide rate in veterinarians. And I said, no, I had no idea. Why? Um, and so that was the second pivotal moment for me where I then decided this is what I need to do, suicide prevention 
in the vet industry, which is my two passions, um, and now I got to bring them together. So that was where my doctoral research started and specialised in what is it about the vet industry and working um, as a veterinarian that is so stressful and contributing to these really high, disproportionately high suicide rates. Um, and so that was where my doctoral research came in. And then once I finished that in 2016, I honestly felt like I was hitting a brick wall professionally um, because I knew that these vets needed help, but they wouldn't reach out and get that help, you know, and that's, uh, you know, probably a whole other podcast about what mm. I understood it, but it was mm. really frustrating to think I'd done all this research and now what was I going to do with it? You know, nobody wanted to work with me and and take things on. I don't know if it was because people were too frightened. There's a lot of shame and stigma, particularly around seeing a psychologist. Um, so I was really at, I guess, crossroads myself. And I ended up working back in roles in academia um, because obviously I, I still needed to work and I wasn't really getting anywhere within my own practice with the with the work with the vet. And um, by chance, and I don't know if any of <laughs> yourself or any of your listeners uh, are spiritually minded, I definitely am. Um, but I won a reading with um, a gentleman called James Van Prague, who is a celebrity psychic medium in the US. He's behind the show Ghost Whisperer that had Jennifer Love Hewitt in it, and he used to have his own um, TV show. And I won a reading with him, and we were we were talking, and he said to me, "You have to keep going with this. What you're actually doing is creating this paradigm shift. You're trying to change this." paradigm of this is the way it's always been so we just have to suck it up and deal with it to well that might have been the way it was but now we're we've got that change and that was the third really big pivotal moment for me it was an mm. uh, like now I know why I have struggled because I'm trying to change a paradigm so people are stuck in the old way and I have to build that trust in them to trust me to lead them through these changes and for them to feel safe to make those shifts and um, that was when I, I worked with a, a business and marketing coach um, who's based in the US. And I said to her, I have to create a paradigm shift. How do I do that? <laughs> she said, oh, we need to create a campaign. I don't know, like love your pet, love your vet. So that's where that name is. So I cannot take any credit for that name that she's doing. And then we worked through that. Like she, obviously, that's, that's her thing. She's in um, business and marketing. Led through to actually get the campaign on. Obviously, you know, that's it's got a life of its own now. It's a registered charity. We're backed by Royal Cannon. Um, but that's, yeah, sort of, I guess, that, that whole journey. And I know that was a really long-winded way of getting to it, but there, it's a really long story. You know, it's like mm. a, a life's a journey uh, to get to this point. So now I only work with the veterinary industry and with veterinary professionals and our, our wildlife professionals, uh, especially at the moment with what's going on with our um, bushfires. But, yeah, that's sort of, that's my work now and what I do. Mm, I've just had three sets of goosebumps <laughs> each time, each time you told that I had, and, and I, I'm serious, I had goosebumps going up my arms and stuff each time that you said that. That's wow. That's, um, yeah, definitely, as you said, shows that life is a journey. And, you know, sometimes I feel like we are almost in like a bit of a, a pinball machine where you get flipped and to, to one side of the room and then you get flung back onto the other side and then you get flung back into another direction until you finally... Definitely. I love that analogy, actually, because I'm like, yeah, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. yeah and there's, there's times, <laughs> as I said, you know, I was ready to walk away, you know, in 2016, mm. but there was that 
little voice inside of me that was yep. saying, you've done six and a half years of doctoral research. You can't walk away. That wasn't yeah. for nothing, yeah. um, you know, and it's just I guess it's a message, you know, and particularly you might have people listening that feel like they're at wit's end and like, oh, my gosh, is anything going to happen? Is anything going to come of this? You know, what else is out there? That one of the mottos that stuck in my head is don't quit right before the miracle occurs. Oh, uh, you know, so it's sort of like, yeah, oh, but how like long that. to keep going before the miracle yeah. comes? Yeah. Like, come on, I need yeah. a miracle now. <laughs> it's uh, really just, I guess, knowing if, if you know without a doubt what your life purpose is, yeah, there's going to be some struggles along the way. Like certainly my journey has mm. not been easy and there's been many moments where I wanted to just go, you know what, I'm not doing it. But every single time I've said, that's it, I'm walking away. If people don't want my help, that's it. They're on their own now. And mm. um, then something will always happen every single time mm. to bring me back, you know. So it's sort of a joke. I say that to my hubby when I get into a, you know, a little bit of a like, oh, my gosh, am I making a difference? Am I actually doing anything? You know, I say, oh, maybe I should just go and do something else. I'm like, but what would I do? Like this is my life yeah. <laughs> now to, to do this. So I know deep down that it's there, but it's it, it can be challenging yeah. at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's good. Yeah, I love to hear people's stories like that. You're telling it as it is. It's um, exactly. very, very real. Um, you know, yeah. social media can give one perception, one a very one dimensional um, side of things, but re- in the reality, it can can be far, far from that. That's for sure. Yes. Um, yes. All right, so I guess, yeah, it's, it's a question that I didn't, I don't really want to ask, but that's, but that's kind of what your work is about, or a lot of it anyway. Why, why is there such a high suicide rate in this industry? I remember when I first heard about it, and again, I've got goosebumps going up my arms again because it just, it just seems so surreal. We know that you know, we immediately think of the emergency services personnel, you know, your the police, the paramedics, the fireys, all that kind of stuff. We immediately think that those guys, um, you know, army and all that kind of stuff, you know, are definitely uh, very prone to um, experiencing PTSD and so forth. So yes. veterinarians or, yeah, the industry yeah. as a whole. And, um, statistically... They're in, in Australia, they're four times more likely than the, anyone in the general population mm. to suicide, and they're twice as likely as any other health professional to suicide, which is really high when you think, you know, health professionals, our doctors, you know, and, and yeah. physicians, you know, yeah. they have high rates of suicide. Mm. Traditionally, our dentists used to have one of the highest rates of suicide. Um, anesthetists, they were right up there. I think they were one wow. of the highest at one point. Um, wow. You know, but I don't think people sort of think about our vets because, again, there's this perception that, oh, you've got your dream job, you're just working with animals, so that mm. must be, you know, wonderful. I mean, again, yes, absolutely it can be, but there is a really stressful side. And so from my research, I actually wanted to look at why. <laughs> you know, why is there such yeah. a high rate of burnout and suicide? And essentially it came down to um, five factors. So um, having to euthanize animals. Absolutely. That was up there. It wasn't the single most um, uh, biggest contributing factor, which the literature during my research all indicated it was because of the euthanasia. Um, But my my own doctoral research found that it wasn't the single contributing factor, but absolutely was up there. Pardon me for a lot of vets, not all of them, but Mm. a lot of them, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly for those where they've gone through that lifespan of the animal. Um, You know, and I know certainly 
you know, our own vets where my animals have gone, they've they've been through that journey from, you know, their puppy or kitten oh, yeah. to end of yep. life. So they've, and mm. obviously because animals have a shorter lifespan than humans mm. ordinarily, that, you know, they, they might see their clients with three different dogs or, you know, cats or whatever. Certainly ours have seen a, a camaraderie. Of <laughs> but, you know, they, they go through that journey. You know, I, I remember... Um, you know, when we had our last dog, Caddy, put to sleep. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the vet. This was before I started my research and saying to them, oh, is this really hard for you too? And, you know, the vet nurse was just, she had tears streaming down her eyes. Um, and so I was actually there trying to console them because I knew how hard it was because they had known Caddy wow. since the puppy. They had been through that journey. I like to think that I was their favourite client, so that's why it was extra hard. <laughs> always joke about that since I'm their favourite. Um, <laughs> they go through that, you know, they, mm. they pick up on the, the owner or the carer's grief, um, which sort of leads into the compassion fatigue. You know, that mm. fatigue that comes from being so compassionate and so caring. Yeah. Um, and that is extremely fatiguing. And it's really common in, um, you know, the, the bulk of the helping professions. Yeah. Particularly when you're listening to people's stories. You know, I know for myself as a psychologist, I've heard the most horrific things you could ever hear um, from clients that people have been through. Um, you know, and you, you have to learn how to process that and cope with that, you know, in your own way. Um, but, yes, yeah, certainly that is a huge contributing factor. You know, they they see most of the vets, you know, their, their values around this quality of life for animals. So they, when they see an animal that's suffering for whatever reason, it goes against their values and then that creates this big um, imbalance, you know, and these struggles there. Um, dealing with difficult clients, I would say this would be in the top you know, out of all five the dealing with difficult clients and the financial aspects would be the two highest ones that I see and that can range from those clients who have the expectation that they shouldn't have to pay for their service because they should be a community service or you love animals wow. you should do this for free it's really? like well, yeah, my wow. mechanic loves cars does that mean he's going to you know fix and tune my car for free yeah. my hairdresser loves hair so does that mean that she should do my hair for free or mm. you know, it's sort of like where do people think that this is okay I mean, Mm. All said and done, they're, they're still running a business, and yeah. the profit margin in um, you know most clinics is generally between five and nine percent profit. It's really not that high, but because you know when you're a patient, and I've just gone through this with one of our cats, where you had to have specialist care, and thank goodness we had pet insurance, um, where the cost can be very high because we're paying for every single thing. Whereas you know for our human medical care, we you know, most cases, especially here in Australia, we have our Medicare system. Mm, so we're not right. paying for a lot of yeah. we, we get a lot of our pharmaceuticals um, at a subsidised rate or, we, you know, public hospital treatment. We're not paying a cent for that or we're getting bulk billed at our GP. Um, you know, but that's actually still costing. You know, the government is still paying for that. But with our pets, we don't have that luxury. So we're paying for, you know, every vaccination or every worming tablet, you know, every dental procedure. Um, you know, so that it's those expectations or the clients who aren't compliant. You know, so the vet may say to them, right, you need to give, you know, Fluffy this medication and this cream, you know, every day for five days. And then the client will come back and complain, oh, the cat hasn't got any better, but they haven't administered the medication, you know, so they're not treatment that's another stressor or you might have the ones like oh we're going away on holidays we can't find anyone to look after the dog so can you just put it to sleep you know so that's no no yeah um it doesn't seem to happen as much now because a lot of the kids have refused to do it um but i there's i actually know somebody who's 
who's done that. And, um, yeah, let's just say they're probably not on my friend list. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Um, yes, I just I just find that horrific. I mean, you don't just buy a pet for convenience. You know, they're, yeah. in my opinion, they're, they're, they're part of your family. Absolutely. House if I had to. to um, yes, you know, <laughs> me too, me too, 100%. They're, they're, yeah. they're just precious, like, um, so there's those sorts of expectations. I mean, there's lots of different scenarios there, but a lot of them can be rude. They, um, you know, you're just in it for the money. Um, you're ripping us off. All these sorts of things. And, wow. and if people actually knew, um, you know, like the average graduate wage, you know, of a new graduate, it's fifty thousand dollars a year for a vet after five years of uni. Um, fifty thousand dollars. You know, wow. what what are their medical, um, human medical counterparts getting? Mm. Nowhere near that. Um, the average vet, uh, average wage for a vet in Australia is um, eighty thousand dollars. So they're they're really not well paid um, for the bulk the bulk of them. So some of them might be working for I don't know forty dollars an hour. Um, so when the, you know the, the customers are paying a bill and it's four thousand dollars, there's this assumption that that four thousand dollars has gone straight into the vet's pocket. Yeah, they've probably got forty dollars an hour out of that. They still have rent to pay and equipment to maintain and buy and they have to buy their pharmaceuticals which aren't subsidized um you know they have wages and superannuation just like any other business so Mm. it's just that lack of perception that can um be again one of the biggest contributing factors those financial aspects as i've said but also for the the um vets who own their own practice as well you know so the financial stress of running a business which can affect you know a lot of people running a business um, and then the unrealistic expectations that can be placed on them either by their clients. So, um, you know, I've got a 15-minute consultation. I'm bringing my animal in. I've got no idea what's wrong. So you have to figure out what's wrong. I want a complete cure and I don't want to pay for it in this 15 minutes. Um, you know, and then they complain because, well, we're going to have to run a blood test. Oh, you're just ripping me off. Uh, well, if we don't do a blood test, we can't find out what's going on. And, you know, it's this sort of constantly having to justify what they are doing. Um, and and um, also the unrealistic expectations they put on themselves. So, you know, the, the majority mm. of vets, you know, they mm. have these perfect tendencies. So, and that's drilled into them, you know, the best of the best get into university, you know. Yeah. And, and quite often, and I love this, you know, that a lot of the vets are sort of saying, you know, we are, we are that smart to be able to get into vet school. Do you think if we were just in it for the money, we'd be picking vet school when we could pretty much do anything, <laughs> um, you know, which is so true. Yeah, like, yeah. I think that just sort of highlights it, like, you know, when those people that say they're in it for the money, you know, it is just so hurtful. You know, we wouldn't say that, you know, I wouldn't go and say that to my lawyer or my accountant or my hairdresser or whatever. So why do people think it's okay to say that to our vets? But this is what they're copying and sometimes on a daily basis. The snide remarks, there's bullying remarks. I've had a client, she's had a gun pulled on her on two separate occasions. Oh, um, my goodness. Here in Australia, are you kidding? Yep, here in Australia. Yep. Um, you know, just for doing her job. It's just, you know, that people, they just don't want to pay. And there was a story in the UK recently um, where that happened to a vet. I think they um, someone threatened her with a rifle that if the, the dog didn't wake up from the anaesthetic, um, he was going to come back and shoot her. You know, it's just, it's mind-blowing that this is what they're dealing with. And again, you know, these are, you know, in my experience, the vets that I work with and the vets now, I count a lot of them as my friends, are just the most amazing, compassionate, mm. giving you could ever meet. And that's what 
um, probably really fuels my passion in looking out for them. You know, when I just think, you know, and they won't speak up for themselves on a lot of occasions. You know, they don't like conflict. Not many people do, but it's um, oh, it, it's it's horrific. You know what they're dealing with, the sites they see, particularly at the moment. Um, you know, with that, and then you know, leading in, I guess, to sort of sleep, which is you know your forte. They're, they're worrying. They come home at night, so they might have done a 12-hour shift, even though they're not, you know, a traditional shift worker, or, or they might be if they're, they're doing, you know, one of the after-hours clinics or centres. But, you know, they, they might be at the clinic at 7 o'clock in the morning and they're going all day, you know, doing consults and surgeries and, you know, then they've got emergencies coming in. And then they come home and can't sleep because they're constantly running through their heads. Yep. Did I do this right? Should I have done this differently? Is this animal going to be okay? Maybe I should have done that instead. So second-guessing everything and worrying about their animals long after they've, they've gone home. You know, so that obviously affects their sleep. Um, you know, and if they're not getting enough sleep, then that's just going to exacerbate everything psychologically. They can't function um, you know, properly with everything, and it just has that flow on effect a vicious yeah a vicious vicious cycle and i think um yeah i, I think too because i mean they're just, i i think anybody who loves animals is an incredibly beautiful human being because you know yeah well uh, yeah and then to uh, yeah and to then go on and then make that as your profession um yes. and yeah obviously not getting into it for the money as you were alluding to before they could have gone off and done you know some kind of other speciality and and so forth but they just they keep draw you know their heart and soul is all about animals and uh yeah i think they yeah they just do an amazing amazing job I, i've you know had a personal experience myself with the green cross uh, veterinarians uh, up here in uh, Brisbane not far from me and having something happen to my cat and it was quite traumatic uh, but they were brilliant you know they were absolutely yes. brilliant and yep. it would never I mean we've I've had to deal with a bit of conflict um, at the airport face to face with people um, for, oh, yes, for all sorts of things but I just what you were just talking about mentioning about you know potentially getting a gun to their head and demanding yeah. stuff and all that it just that is just ridiculous, it's, like it's incomprehensible. <laughs> it's yes. incomprehensible, incomprehensible, yes. um, and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, with always so much that they have to deal with when all they're trying to do is just you know treat their pets. Yeah, yeah, it would never cross my mind to you know um, question them or demand them to do this or anything. I just have so much respect for them because oh, I know that they've yeah had to go through five, six years of university. I certainly thought that they would have been earning and certainly are deserving a lot more money mm. than that for so many years of yep. study um so yeah it's obviously it's a very very um complex web i suppose of things yeah. that are that are going on so yeah. what can be done to help reduce these suicide rates so i'm assuming that you're not it's not just the vets it's also the vet nurses is that yes. right is it is yep. it both Yes, yep. So the um, vet nurses, again, um, are very susceptible. So they have a lot of the same stressors yeah. as the vet. Yeah. Um, but they also have a lot of unique um, stressors as well. So, you know, the, the vets have that level of responsibility, mm. um, you know, and the onus is on them ultimately. So they have those sorts of stressors, particularly if they're the owner of the practice or in yep. charge and, you know, they this animal um, – their life is in their hands, essentially. So, you know, that takes a lot of responsibility. But the nurses, I mean, they're on the front line, you know, so they're um, 
facing the abuse from the clients. My, my niece is a vet nurse, so she shares with me a lot of her stories that I just shake my head at and just go, oh, my gosh. And all mm. I can say is I'm grateful that she opens up to me and she knows that I'm here yeah. for her 100%. Yeah. Um, but, and she, she has an amazing, amazing boss. So she's, she's lucky she works in a really supportive beautiful clinic um but there's there's lots of bullying that goes on in some of the clinics as well Mm. so i I hear about that quite a lot yeah um it's a lot of it is around you know and and the stuff that i'm working on is trying to equip them with the psychological strategies to be able to deal with the everyday demands of life so not just at work because a lot of them are happy in their jobs but their home life might not be so crash hot um, some, you know, might not have any balance at all. Work might be horrible and the home life's not so good. So there is no balance. Um, so giving them those evidence-based psychological strategies to really help them cope because at the end of the day, they can't change what can't be changed. You know, yep. there's things that are outside of their control. All of, well, that any of us can control is our own behaviour and how we respond to things. And it's how we respond to things um, that's going to have the consequence you know, that we have to deal with. So if we're responding to something in a um, less than ideal way, the consequences are going to be less than ideal. If we're responding in, in a, uh, responding to those situations in probably the most helpful way, then we're more likely to get a, a better outcome. It might not be an ideal outcome, but it's going to be better than the alternatives. Um, so that's sort of what, what I work on around and get that education system to train them um, and give them these tools. That's like my first priority. Um, what we're also working on in with Love Your Pet is trying to reduce the stigma and seeking help. Um, and this has been, I mean, I've, I've been working on Love Your Pet since 2017. We launched it 2018. So it's coming up on a two-year process. And during this time, I, I have seen massive shifts within the vet industry where a lot more of them are reaching out. Um, you know, they're being more supportive. Um, you know, a lot of organisations are getting on board now and looking at what can we do to support our staff um, because the retention rate is really high. Uh, sorry, the attrition rate. Attrition, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's sitting at, I think, just under 40% with some, some research that was done um, in Australia and New Zealand. So it's we have to look at ways, you know, that these vets are leaving the industry. So we have a global shortage. We have to look at ways of being able to help them in their jobs so we can help them within their own um, psychological well-being at a corporate level, you know, what the organisation can do to support their staff. Also from the customer level, which in my experience is probably where the main focus is, Um, you know, their their customers or their clients could make or break their day. Um, And that's what we're doing with educating the community. So we want the community to know... (sighs) This is the reality of what's going. It's not all puppies and kittens. It might look like it, but it's not, you know. And I think, you know, a lot of my, my vet colleagues, if they're on social media and share a post of them actually kissing a, a kitten or something, and I'm like, it's actually nice to see you actually really kissing a kitten because I know it's few and far between. <laughs> yeah. Whereas people go, oh, look, see, dream job, kittens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, them, you know, I get a little bit sarcastic, and they know I'm just joking. And yeah. It's like. It is really nice to actually see you having that, that special moment. One of the vets, um, he shared one with a little ringtail possum baby, you know, eating a strawberry, like snuggled up in his hands, you know, and he leans down and he kisses it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he is the most compassionate vet. Yeah. You know, and it's 
reaches up as if it goes to kiss him back. And I, I said to him, it looked like he was nearly going to kiss you back. He said he actually did. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God, I just love it. Um, but, again, you know, those are those. For me, when I see that, that is like those special moments. Mm. And I lap it up mm. um, because it doesn't happen. You know, they can go from that and then they've got an emergency coming in with, you know, a, an horrific injury on an animal and plus they've got a waiting room full of consultations. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, so the stress levels are just really high because it's like an emergency room. They never know what's going to come through the door. Um, so they're constantly on the go. You know, they might think, yeah, we're packed up, we're ready to go home at 6 o'clock and then an emergency will come through the door. Um, and because of the nature of who they are, you know, in most cases they'll stay behind to stabilise that animal. Yeah. Um, you know, again, you know, with with the advent of our emergency centres, it has taken a lot of that pressure off, mm. particularly um, a lot of the vets traditionally they'd be on call 24-7 and even in some of our rural areas and our remote areas here in Australia, um, I've been told by some of my, my clients who work in those areas that it's a requirement of the, um, the vet surgeons, like their registration board, that they have to be able to provide a 24-7 service. So for some of these vets who are like the solo vet in that practice, they've worked all day, they're still expected to be on call all night. Mm. How do you do that? I mean, again, yeah. you know, tapping from the, the sleep perspective, perspective yeah. I don't know, like, they're, are they a double shift workers because they've worked all day and then they're working all night? Like, how, how, like, what effect does that have? physically as well as emotionally and psychologically absolutely and the thing is that we we our bodies allow us to do that but it doesn't mean it's we're actually um the right thing then to do that's for sure exactly particularly if it's day after day so yeah exactly yeah the after hours centers have certainly taken a lot of that pressure off um you know the the general practices um but that then leaves those workers, you know, that are doing the, the shift work with their own set of stressors, you to know, because, again, well. they're dealing with emergencies. Yeah. Um, so they're seeing the most traumatic stuff generally that's coming in and dealing with mm. people who are highly stressed because something's happened to their animal. So, again, it's just this whole different um, focus really on what's going on. But then, as I said, you know, the, the shift side of things, the shift worker side of things. And the, the sleep adds to it as yeah, adds to it as well. My just just talking and listening to you, Nadine, with with what you've sort of been sharing. My my initial thoughts are around the. Um, I love that you're about um, education and awareness because that's definitely me too. I, yes. I adore that. That's what I what I'm trying to do as well. But also, but coming to sort of reverse engineer this, and and because a lot of it sounds like it is. Uh, coming from a lot of the the public and the community and you you mentioned briefly before that you are looking at you know sort of providing more of this public awareness um, and getting yes. to the community which to me I think is yeah is vital because again coming not from this background I, with mm. aviation not knowing um, I think People need to know this so that they can, um, you know, give them more respect and, and yes. everything that what what they, that they deserve. So, what what has or your what are you trying to sort of do? How do you do yeah, that? Like, I mean, that's a um, oh, huge. That was, um, 
I mean, most of what we're doing sort of is through Love Your Pet, Love Your Dog. Uh-huh. Um, okay, gotcha. That's our, I mean, that's our challenge. That was my next question then because yeah, it merged, they, they merged the two, okay. <laughs> so I guess in, in my private practice, I own Positive Psych Solutions. That's where I do, you know, my, like my, my paid job. Yeah. Um, it's my corporate work where I, I work either one-on-one, you know, and I, I see, um, you know, provide counselling and um, coaching to vet clients. Yeah. Um, but I also work at the corporate level with different organisations and we do our workshops and, um, yeah. you know, looking at what they can do within their organisation to help their staff. If there's conflict, you know, I'll go in and work through that with them. So it's very much like that organisational side of side of you. Um, and then Love Your Pet, again, is, you know, the, the charity side. So um, I sort of see this as our our channel, our portal, whatever, our advocacy to spread that, that message. And um, so, um, as I said earlier on, we partnered with Royal Cannon or I partnered with Royal Cannon in, here in Australia and we worked on the campaign. So our original campaign and my original sort of vision, how we thought it was going to work, we pretty much completely shifted that and made it digital. Um, so I just took the advice of Royal Cannon. I mean, they've got the most incredible team and I just I can't speak more highly of them. I absolutely love Royal Cannon. I feel so blessed that I've been able to work um, with them and I don't get paid any commission for giving them a plug but I'm just <laughs> so grateful yeah. for what they have done mm. and, you know, they have helped. Without them, I don't think the campaign or the, it would now be a charity. Mm. Um, so their their team were just amazing and we put together a series of videos um, and they're all on our website as well so if anyone wants to watch them, you can sort of see them, um, that we have, have practising vets, so they're, they're real-life vets, um, that are on the videos and they're talking about different stressors. So I'm actually interviewing them but you don't see me on there. And we're asking different questions tailored around those those five main contributing factors. You know, um, And we're also saying, you know, why did you become a vet? So that people can really get an understanding of mm. the person behind the profession. Nice. Um, you know, and just to see. And then, you know, in other ways, you know, when we, this is where we're trying to use it educationally that, you know, we what we're trying to get across is, you know, about difficult clients and we obviously can't come out and say which kind of clients do you wish would just never come back into your practice again. We can't do that, but we wanted to use it as like a positive. We all want that though, realistically. How do we say this in a nice way? Yeah. And so one of the questions, I know we've got Dr. Andy from Kasharina Vet. She's just absolutely adorable. Um, and, you know, so we, we turned it around and we said, what kind of clients make your day? And, you know, she says it so beautifully. She said, the clients that know that we have got their beautiful treasured baby in our hands and we are doing everything we can to help them, and then they say thank you. Mm. A simple thank you, you know. It, it costs nothing to say thank you. And genuine, not like thanks. You know, it's yeah. genuine. It doesn't mean you have to take yep. them chocolates and, and flowers and stuff like that all the time. I mean, certainly those those things never go astray. but <laughs> You know, I, I make sure that I practice what I pe- preach with, with my vet teams. I take them in little treats every now and then and we've got, you know, got our, our awesome hot pink Love Your Pet pens and I go in, oh, do you guys need more pens? Are you right for pens? And I've taken them, taken them in copies of my book and, you know, because I want to make sure that my vets feel appreciated and my nurses feel appreciated. And I don't mean my own, like personally, yeah. like my own, where I go, you know, that I practice because... Okay, I, I do have to interrupt just very briefly here, Nadine. You mentioned the word treats. Now, I do need to actually get clarification by the definition of treats. <laughs> As a nutritionist, I'm just a little bit curious as to what your definition of treats is. <laughs> 
okay. I'm not sure if I believe you, but that's... Um, the 90% chalk, dark chocolate. Um, of course, but don't the, the calories don't count if it's a gift, though, do they? Of course not. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. I think that's what we said at the workshop, didn't we? Oh, yeah, none of those, you know, those with the scones and the the jam and the cream that were there, or that might have been at our Gold Coast one that we did with AEC. The the food was just amazing. I mean, I took my own because they have feed intolerances, but looking, I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, that looks awesome. So it's like, yeah, calories don't count at workshops and things. They don't. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Totally. It's sort of like, yeah, try telling the, your, your body that. But, uh, <laughs> but again, it doesn't have to be those things. Like I've taken yeah. flowers in. Um, you know, to our vets, or it could just be a card, or it might be a thank you email. You know, again, they don't always have to be things that cost money, but for them, it's them feeling appreciated. And it doesn't have to be every single time. Like, I don't take flowers in every single time I go to the vets, but you know, uh, I remember one time I was there, I think it was like first thing on a Monday morning, and I could actually feel the tension. It was sort of like something's not right here. Is this just a mm. Monday morning where they already had mm. a horrible morning? Mm. Um, and okay. so it was really intense. And so I got home and then I just ordered a bunch of flowers and I sent it and I just said, I just want to make your day. You know, here we go. Thank you for everything that you do. And then I got them. They were phoning me. They were texting me <laughs> just to show how appreciated it was. And I don't do it. Um, because I want the accolades for it, it makes me feel good, making them feel good, you know, and that kindness is just something that, you know, it, it does when, when somebody says thank you to you and gives you something in kindness or compassion, it makes you feel wonderful. And when you do it back and you can make someone's day with a simple gesture, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, so it, um, it's, it's those simple little things that we can do and, um, you know, that, that's sort of what we were trying to get out with the videos um, and the video campaign that initially there were going to be five videos. Um, I think we ended up with about 13 because <laughs> we had so much footage. They were all professionally done. They had a professional videographer. He did an awesome job. Um, so they're all professionally edited and, um, yeah, the, our little – we've got an introductory one which sort of just gives a bit of an intro around working as a vet. Um, I think that, that reached half a million people. Um, wow! Wow! Um, yeah, it was. It just went phenomenal. Um, you know, we were on the project last year and Channel 10's project. Oh, fantastic! Um, so That's going to get word was, out. Yep, hundred percent. The the video segment they did because um, there was a um, a vet called Flynn Hargraves who was from Melbourne, but he was living in the UK, and sadly he suicided. And his his mum and dad are on this, the, the segment with us. So it was all a pre-recorded. We weren't live in the studio. Yeah. It was pre-recorded. And um, so, I mean, I, I've spoken to his mum. I've spoken to his sister. I've met met his mum. The minute they came on, I just started bawling my eyes out because I hadn't seen their part of the interview. I hadn't even seen, you know, ours. Obviously, I was there when I was being interviewed, but we hadn't seen any of it, how it was going to come together. And I think... Um, when you look back at the views, I think last check which was months ago that had eight or nine hundred thousand views of that video, and we even topped the royal baby. We beat their, their video. Oh my god! Jeez. Um, Harry and, and Megan. Wow. Was, I think it was the ninth of May last year, so you have to go way, way, way back. But yeah. um, I think we've got a link to it on our website as well, which will take you straight to the interview. But that's really talking about 
why, you know, what's going on. And then obviously with having Flynn's mum and dad on there to sort of say, you know, this was our son and mm. this is what's happened. He was a vet. And sadly, you know, in Australia, it's like roughly one every 12 weeks um, will suicide. And we don't have any statistics for the nurses um, yet. We know it's high. I've certainly heard of, of a lot of nurses, um, but we don't have any formal statistics. So we don't know what their rate of suicide is. Um, the only scientific journals that I've found sort of alluded to the fact that they're no more likely than anybody else. Um, I seriously question that, mm. <laughs> um, knowing sort of what I do and working within that industry. And this also includes like our wildlife workers as yeah. well. Um, and I don't mean just now because of the bushfires, you know, they do have that, that high rate. So they're still subjected to these things as well as you know, our vets, it's not just our vets, it's our nurses, there's vet students are at risk before they even get into um, practice. As well, we have vet technicians, um, you know, who are at risk. You know, we have those that are working in animal shelters um, and in pounds and rescue organisations. So, you know, pretty much those animal-related industries, not a lot of research um, or statistics for any of those other professions. Mm. It's... Really sad, yeah. I mean, I remember when I and I know that it wasn't your idea of the the term of the actual tagline, "Love your pet, love your vet." <laughs> but I, 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 um, I just won't take the credit. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah, that's so funny, so funny. But I remember when I first heard it, it was Amy that was um, told me, and I went, "Wow, what a, a beautiful tagline, and how yeah. incredibly important, uh, incredibly important that is." And um, yeah, so. We need to sort of extend it to you love your vet professional because <laughs> a lot of our yeah. nurses. But don't oh, forget, okay. I promise okay. we're not forgetting about yeah. this. Just, I mean, particularly in those early days, we're we're quoting statistics, and you know, for me, it's it's absolutely crucial that I can back up the claims that I'm making. Yeah. So if I'm saying, you know, we're four times, um, you know, the general population to suicide here in Australia. It's roughly, you know, three to four times globally as well, like UK, US, Canada, um, you know, that research is there. But this is this is a global mm. epidemic, I guess, yeah. um, not just exclusive to Australia, that, um, you know, I have to be able to back up what I'm saying. You know, like I'm, I'm a scientist, you know, so I like mm. to have the evidence for mm. what I'm saying. I'm not just making this up. You know, we, we can back up all of this. So it's not just this, oh, I reckon that they're probably like this. It's, you know, this is backed up evidence-based stuff and that's that's probably even scarier really and I think yeah it's um, real I I suspect Mm -hmm. the rates could actually be higher because um I think there's only two states here in Australia that document occupation on the death certificate so a lot of these deaths aren't necessarily going to say that they were a vet or they were a vet nurse so it could be a lot more Mm -hmm. um, that we don't know about but also some may be ruled accidental, you know, if they've used a different means to suicide than some of the, um, you know, like overdose, yeah. then where it could look, you know, seemingly, well, this looks very intentional. Um, if it's something else, it could be questionable that was, was this accidental or was it a suicide? So the rates could potentially be higher, you know. Mm. 
just there might be other, but we don't know. Te- yeah, terrible, terrible. You know, I remember when I was still studying at uni, and I always wanted to work with shift workers. It was, you know, kind of a bit like you. I yes, knew that I always wanted to do shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I always thought, you know, if I ever opened like a, you know, like a face-to-face clinic or, or whatever, and, and I always said to myself, you know, if, when, you know, if a, if a shift worker was to come in, you know, and they or they sat or somebody sat down and said that they were a shift worker, I, I probably the first thing I'd want to do is get up and give them a hug. <laughs> Not the normal etiquette of a, of a healthcare practitioner. Oh but, no, but sometimes but you just have now, to <laughs> yeah, but now I sort of know, like just from yeah, like. As I said, I was not really aware of, as you mentioned, they're not all shift workers, um, but some of them, you know, a good portion of them are. But in saying that, but in saying that, those that aren't typically uh, classified as a shift worker, they certainly can be working sort of similar kind of um, out of the normal hours, which, you know, we've got that on top of everything else that you've just been sharing with us on the podcast that just um, magnifies everything um, which kind of makes it just so yeah so so um, much harder but um, yeah well look this has just been a great uh, chat and I could could keep talking for hours um, yeah, but I, I could too yeah <laughs> and I would actually have to agree with you there um, but, but in a good way no but in a good way but I do want to just wrap up with two more questions before sure. we, we kind of wrap up and because the, the first one is um, just sort of a slight change of topic kind of but just given and you've kind of alluded to it before given what we are currently experiencing here in Australia with the bushfires which has been pretty horrific to kind of watch and obviously we know that uh you know a lot of animals are being affected but could you share with us maybe just two or three little top tips for helping all of us I suppose um you know anybody that's going to be working in the in the animals directly we're going to really impact it even more but yeah. sort of to deal with the emotional trauma that is yeah. happening right now because I think I mean I see images of these poor animals that are gut wrenching oh. and I'm not even working in that profession I know me too they're they're heartbreaking and I Oh, this might sound really harsh, but I get more upset over the animals than the humans. So do um, I. They're, they're so defenseless. So do I. Hundred um, percent. You know, yeah. I just think, you know, what did these animals do to deserve this? And, mm-hmm. and certainly, that doesn't mean that you know humans deserved it. I don't mean it no. in that way. But I they don't know what's going on. Humans had the opportunity to remove themselves mm. from that environment. Yeah. Um, obviously, not all of them, but there, there were choices. There, you know, these animals didn't get that heads up, yeah. you know, or and they um, can't know, they, run away, they, yeah. Exactly, how have they been able to defend themselves? And that just that just adds to the the heartache, I guess, for me. Um, I think some of the big things, and you know, some of the stuff that I'm doing, because I find this just as distressing as well as you know, I'm saying probably assuming the majority of other people that mm. are witnessing it, um, is that self care. You know, we still have to look after ourselves, so. Reduce your time on social media or watching the TV and watching stories. And I know it's really hard because, and again, I'm exactly the same. I want to read everything there is because I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's happening now and what's yeah. happening here? But yeah. a lot of those stories probably aren't doing us any favours unless we're in that, um, you know, emergency area and we need this for the heads up, you know, like as a warning thing. Like if all those things aside, if we don't need to be, constantly exposing ourselves to these stories every minute of the day give yourself a little break yeah you know maybe just go okay look when I have my lunch break I'm just going to read a couple of the stories and then that's it you know so we're still staying up to date like I want to stay up to date so I know what's happening have we got rain yet are the fires still burning out of control you know I just I want to stay informed 
but I guess I don't want to buy into it and take it all on board, which is sort of what I did initially, like reading it all, and I just wanted to read all the stories, and I'm like, hang on, this really is Because it helpful. seems so surreal, doesn't it? it yeah. It does. Mm. It does, and it's um, – I guess it, it's quite traumatising and we can be subjected. There's now um, evidence about um, secondary uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. So being exposed or witnessing these horrific things, even if it's through the TV or the media or hearing these stories, can subject some people to that. So um, it's nearly like that vicarious trauma yeah. as well. So we're, we can see that horror. We can relate to how it must feel to be these people. And we're taking that on as if they're our own emotions and, and it's affecting us. And our brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not. You know, it believes what it perceives. So I would say sort of limit your time. Um, again, we're practical. If you're in an evacuation zone, obviously you're going to be listening in. So this is like talking common sense here, yeah. if you don't have to be doing that, mm. then just restrict the time that you're doing that. Um, there's an um, evidence-based um, thing called the positivity ratio, and it's about for every negative thing or every not-so-good things, we need to find three positive or good things to counteract it. So <gasps> wow, really? It's scientific. It is wow. actually Barbara Fredrickson is a positive psychologist. And it's um, so if you've witnessed and just watched or seen a, a horrific image, um, as we all have, yeah. then find three nice things. It doesn't have to be three nice images. It could be going outside and just smelling the fresh air. Okay, that's a positive thing. Or it could be watching a funny video on, on something. Or we need to counteract it three to one so that that negative thing doesn't sort of take hold on us, basically. Um, so, and reaching out to each other you know like really looking I guess within ourselves and ask hey am I okay or am I struggling with this if we're struggling we need to reach out and talk to someone you know don't suffer in silence being able to acknowledge that yeah this is really traumatic and sometimes talking about it and I know Audrey you know you and I've shared some comments on social media about how horrific it is and I know myself and some of the vets have done similar things and it's heartbreaking being able to just share and have that mutual support can be helpful um, so we feel that we can reach out to people and people understand um, how we're feeling, mm. basically. Yeah. You know, so that can be helpful. But I think, yeah, number one is just that self-care. It's like looking after yourself first and foremost. I mean, what do they say? You probably appreciate this from the aviation, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm going to a plane on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> 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 It's that sort of thing. We have to look after ourselves. You know, go out, whether you, you do some relaxation or just doing some enjoyable activities, something that you enjoy, so long as it's safe, healthy and legal. Um, but maybe going and reading a nice book or watching a movie mm. or journaling or just removing yourself from that environment, you know, because I think that's where we all just get drawn in. We're just so drawn to what's happening. And obviously the media generally portrays the horrific stuff. Yeah, you know? that's true. It's one-sided, yeah. Yeah, we need to see the good stuff. And that's how I'm trying to balance it out on our social media now. When these these feel-good stories coming out, I'm trying to share those as well to get that balance. You know, we need to have that balance. So we need to be really highlighting the good stuff. That's Great idea, up. yeah. Sanity, you know, they're the kind of things that I want to be focused, focused on. Mm. And if I can outweigh, you know, those horrible images of, you know, the, the wildlife that didn't make it, that, you can't unsee those things once you've seen mm. them. Uh, a few of the organisations I'm working with, like 
here and now, right now. Um, you know, we want to sort of see if we can get something advocacy to, to have those images, like not let the media put those images out there. I know we're never going to stop it, but, you know, we don't put those photos of deceased people <laughs> all over the internet. Exactly. So I it's okay to put that as animals because those of us who are compassionate and our wildlife carers and our exactly. um, vet staff, it's horrific mm. enough. They don't need these constant reminders because it just can exacerbate things, um, you know. So try and resist the temptation to sort of open those links on media. Mm. <laughs> I like, wish I hadn't done that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's Good really idea. just trying to restrict restrict that time. You know, if you, if you really want to read the stories and stay informed, but just, you know, maybe just read one or two updates and go, yep, okay, I've done it, and then look for something, you know, positive or just something a little bit more refreshing just to, so you don't get caught up in the negativity of it all. Great, great tips, Nadine. And I think as a general in regards to even just social media is sort of putting a bit of a time limit on, isn't sort of get in, get off kind of thing. And because that alone, you know, just spending too much social media is not great for our mental health and well-being, but it's obviously um, it's a whole new level at the moment given um, with what's happening there. So, yeah, really, really yep. um, good advice. Um, thank you. So just... Um, one last thing I wanted to talk to you about before um, we wind up is I know that you do have um, an event coming up in March in beautiful yes. Kingscliff, New South Wales, oh, which I was yes. just down there again last weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful, um, oh, as we know. But could you, because uh, this is a couple, this is a two-day event that you're putting together for the the actual industry, aren't you? So yes. for whole around Australia, could you tell us more about this? Because this yes, sounds yes. interesting. Yeah, thank you. It's um, yeah called the Reach Out Wellbeing Conference for mm-hmm. veterinary professionals and. This is essentially my entire program. So when I did my doctoral research, I put together a full program of coping skills and things that I believed made up our psychological well-being, like time management, communication skills, stress management, directly related to those stressors, you know, that the the vet staff are faced with. And so I used um, two of the evidence-based strategies, acceptance and commitment therapy and positive psychology, two of my favourite things. Um, and traditionally, when we're going around and doing our workshops, like through Love Your Pet, which is the one where we met, Audra, um, I, I typically just sort of cover those two modules, or it might only be one, depending on the time constraints, whereas I want to actually deliver the full program. So that's what we're going to be doing over the two days. Um, obviously, you know, we've got some amazing guest speakers coming in. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, coming in to obviously give people a break from listening to me. Um, but I really want this focus to be on well-being and obviously I'm not qualified to talk about nutrition. I'm not qualified to talk about exercise, um, not you know in a treatment kind of way. So that's why I, I turn to the professionals to do that because I know, particularly for myself, I'm very much about people being qualified to talk about what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, that's just a personal thing of mine, I guess, because I know how long it takes to go through <laughs> the hard work you have to go through to get those qualifications. Um, but I know particularly for our vets, they're very much, I mean, they're, they're very scientific. They like evidence-based stuff. So mm. that's why, you know, the, the, the speakers that I'm using are evidence-based. So obviously, you know, we've got the nutrition side and, and the sleep side covered because some of the vets are going to be shift workers that are going to be there. Um, but also just 
for them to be able to cope? How do they switch off when they get home and they've seen these horrific images? How do they not let that affect their sleep, you know, rather than just drinking or, you know, using some other substance to help them get to sleep? How can we do this in a healthy way? Um, but obviously, you know, we know our nutrition is a core part of our well-being as well. So, and, you know, a lot of them don't eat <laughs> during the day. They don't have yeah. time. This yeah. This is really important so that we yeah. the nutritional side of it um, yeah. to really start looking after the, the physical health and also um, an exercise physiologist who I see personally, she's awesome, um, to come in and, and do some like manual handling vets you know can be susceptible to lower back and ankle injuries um but also doing some light exercises because again a lot of them won't exercise because they don't have the time um ah right okay yeah bring breathe that in so michaela um, yep. is an exercise physiologist even just coming in and sort of saying you know look if you've got to go and do a blood test on an animal and you're waiting for the results do a couple of walks on the spot or do some side steps just getting or you know some wall presses just little things you can do to get that incidental activity mm. throughout the day. You know, keep Something. the body flexible. Exactly. So I want to focus on, obviously, I can do the psychological yeah. well-being, but I want to focus on the physical side, you know, which is obviously the, the nutrition and the exercise. Um, we've also got uh, another colleague of mine. Um, he's coming in and, and he's going to be talking about leadership as well. Um, that That is his forte. So I'm really excited about him coming in and, talking about that and um, at this stage, yeah, my, my colleague Mina from Royal Cannon, so we're going to be talking about Love Your Pet and sort of their involvement and how we all came about that to, because um, the, the conference is actually going to be supporting Love Your Pet, Love Your Vet, my charity. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a nice, um, I want it to be a really fun-filled, positive event. You know, we, we are dealing with some negative stuff, but I want to make this really about the well-being. So. Um, yeah, really excited. We've got some really good corporate sponsors on board as well. So, um, yeah, super exciting to be able to get that out there and to, you know, put on this event for, for all of the, the vet professionals. So, It certainly sounds like a beautiful, holistic kind of approach that you're, that you're coming at um, with this event, uh, Nadine. And, it, yeah, it, it sounds fantastic and so, so, so um needed um and so i think yeah every every veterinarian and vet nurse if if they can do whatever they can to get to it and i think too like you know what's so good about these types of events is not not only the learning from Mm. yes the amazing speakers of course you have to mention but they're just a community of getting together and meeting other people that work in the same occupation but might you know they work in a different clinic in a different state in a different like that that just alone, like you just make new friends um, and, exactly. and the, the networking. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things yep. for me that comes behind it is that they know they're not alone. Oh, um, because exactly. sometimes you can yeah. feel when you're going through something, mm. you feel like you're the only person in the world that's going through it. Yeah. So you know, to be able to come out and know that you've got other people who understand what you're going through mm. you know because a lot of a lot of the vets sort of you know it's like well you're a psychologist how would you know um and and I've, I've had clients and I know people who have seen other psychologists for, for counseling and just gone they just don't get it you know yeah. so how are you any different and I'm so like because I've researched it I get it you know mm. and that's I think makes that difference them Absolutely. feeling understood you know yeah. and it takes time you know as I said it's you know it's been a, a 10 coming up on an 11 year journey 
um, for me to do this. It's only really the last couple of years that I think I've really started to build that trust in people and people know that I'm genuine yeah. and I'm genuinely trying to help them. I'm not just in this for the money because like the vets, I'd be long gone if that was okay. Yeah. <laughs> do it for the love of it. You know, I work in my charity for nothing. And that's, you know, like the full time. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but it's doing it because we're so passionate about it and we're yeah. giving something back to these people. So sometimes it's, you know, their, their well-being is is often worth more than the money. Mm. You know, it's not always about, you know, the, the financial side. So You've got a heart of gold, Nadine. Oh, That's all I say. Today. <laughs> <laughs> An absolute heart of gold to um yeah, to be doing be doing what you do what you what you're doing is is yeah, it is extraordinary. Uh that yeah. And uh, yeah, the event sounds fantastic of course. And it's at Kingscliff, New South Wales. I mean anyone that's listening, just look it up in on Google if you don't know where it is. It's beautiful, absolutely stunning, um, stunning location. It's um yeah, a great a great little getaway. Um in, in, uh, more, in more ways. Yeah, in more ways. <laughs> get your employer to pay for it and just go for a two day holiday. Exactly. Like it's a no brainer, really, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there's special conference rates available as well. We get yeah. discounted rates for our delegates and everything. Brilliant. It's just it, it's oh, I absolutely love it down yeah. at that resort. That was like, okay, that's where it's going to be. Sold. Yeah, I know. I'll probably enjoy it more than anyone else, I think. So. We might see a couple of snapshots by the pool while we're hanging. Exactly, exactly. Here's the conference organiser just getting us all comfortable. Oh, <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, it's just gone over an hour of us chatting oh here, so I really think that we probably best um, wrap up. And yeah, speaking sorry, of health. No. <laughs> I'm guilty of doing it too. I didn't warn it you I was a talker. I'm, I'm guilty of doing it too. Oh, um, I think, I think there's so much to say. I yeah, think. there he is. Yeah. I, agree, I agree. It's um, it's an ongoing um, ongoing conversation. But, look, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Nadine. I have just, um, you know, I've enjoyed our, our conversation. I have learnt just so much more even about the industry myself just talking to you. And I just, as I said, you've got the heart of a heart of gold and um, it's just, yeah, it's wonderful. So how can, speaking of, you know, with what you, with your work and your book and the, and the events and, con- and anything that you do, how can people get in touch um, with you? What's sort of the best um, links? Yeah. Um, either We've got the, the two separate websites. So yeah. um, the positivepsychsolutions.com.au and then yeah. there's lovepetloveyourvet.com.au. Um, we're on Facebook under the, the same names and Instagram under the same names. So, um, cool. There's a, um, information on both the websites. There's contact forms on the websites as well. And I'm open to people contacting me and asking questions. You know, I, I love being able to, to do that and to help people as well. So, you know, if people do have any questions, because um, you don't know, some of your listeners, they, they, they might be in the vet profession themselves or they might have family that are in, in vet or friends. Absolutely. And they might not have had any idea or, you know, I get that quite a lot. Yeah. You know, my, my so-and-so is a, you know, a, a vet. What can I do to help them? So, you know, you just never know. So it's um, for me, education is key. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, either of those um, channels are usually the best. As I said, website and social media, we're on there under both those names as well. You can find us. That's so true because we could have, yeah, just even police officers or yeah, paramedics, anyone like that, but they know of a vet <laughs> and they know exactly. because a lot of what we're talking about is applicable into a lot of other occupations too 100%. in various in various forms. Um, but, yeah, they might um, certainly know of, of a friend or a family member. Um, Absolutely. That is. And, uh, and the strategies, I mean, the, the, the um, my, my program that I'm doing at the conference, there's a, a smaller version of that actually in the back of the book. I mean, and those strategies aren't, 
only for vets. You know, these are universal strategies. They're mm. strategies that I use. I use with, you know, or in my private practice prior to just specialising in vet. Yeah. You know, they're applicable to anyone because they're just evidence-based psychological strategies. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're, they're universal, I guess. It's not necessarily one size fits all, but one size fits most, <laughs> basically. So, yeah. um, you know, there can be benefit from those sorts of of strategies as well you don't have to be in the vet profession necessarily just to benefit excellent brilliant yeah. brilliant all right well once again yana dean thank you so very much for joining thank me you. it's been an absolute hooch about who talking to you yeah. um i think when i very first met you i think at that conference i'm thinking in the back of my mind well firstly you look so much like a, a lady i used to work with Qantas. Right. we had this conversation yes. but i'm thinking, thinking, thinking oh my god this lady's really funny it's quite yeah. um yeah as is amy actually too i don't know if amy's still listening uh, but i find amy, her quite entertaining amy, as well. <laughs> hilarious. Yes, Amy is hilarious. Yeah, so yeah. it's yeah, and I love yeah. hanging around people that have good sense of humour. Oh, so. Absolutely, it's uplifting. It's uplifting. Yeah, we there's enough depressing stuff going on in the world. Totally. We need to lift ourselves up. But yeah, but and thank you, thank you for taking the time and the interest in helping to spread the word, you know, and get the message across as well about what's going on in this industry. Mm. it's a, a no-brainer for me to do this it's yeah ab- absolutely um yeah i would try and spread it out as much as we can so yeah all right so that's it for another edition of the healthy shift worker podcast thanks so very much for joining us if you found this episode helpful please feel free to share it with other shift workers you think may benefit as this will help me to spread the healthy shift worker message to shift workers and organizations all around the world. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be despite working 24-7. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.